Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everybody, we got a great one today. You know, for a change, David Frum of the Atlantic Monthly joins me, a man who knows Washington and how the government works. And David, who wrote the lead article in the Atlantic Monthly year-end issue, an entire issue laying out all the horrible consequences of a Trump presidency. David here takes a slightly different tack in this one, not because he doesn't believe Trump is a, a disaster. David is of the opinion now that many of the parade of horribles we all envision from a second Trump administration won't happen because of the bureaucratic checks and balances within our system, that just because President Trump wants something to happen, he won't be able to get it done. This is, again, somewhat at odds with the whole Atlantic Monthly double issue, which lays out a nightmarish negative utopia. David and I foresee Democrats taking back the House, which is so nakedly dysfunctional right now. And David foresees difficulties getting the parade of horrible candidates who would be willing to take jobs in the second administration, getting them confirmed. This is an interesting point of view. He's uh, basically saying the swamp, which is comprised of responsible public servants, will institutionally be able to stop the worst of uh, Trump's excesses. This is a hypothesis that we can't afford to see tested, of course, because this dysfunctional administration that David foresees will, in many cases, bring the country to a grinding halt. It's a different kind of scenario than I've heard, but uh, one that makes a, a very persuasive case kind of a slightly less horrible best-case scenario for the worst-case scenario we all fear. Yikes! Meanwhile, in other news, the Stormy Daniels hush money case will be the first one of the four Trump criminal trials heard. And yes, it pales to the January 6th case and the documents case and the Georgia case. But let's remember what this is about. If he hadn't paid Stormy Daniels off, he very likely would not have been elected president. Remember, this is is not that long after the Access Hollywood tape, which nobody thought he'd survive. If it had come out just a week or two before the election that he cheated on Melania with a porn star, well, maybe we wouldn't have to be living through all this nightmare today and we'd be in the home stretch of Hillary's second term. Hey. Well, we got a great one for you today, you know, for a change. David Frum on Republican dysfunction in Congress and what a second Trump term might look like. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. 
living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. You know, you've written a few pieces of late, uh, one on uh, immigration and the immigration bill and how it's been killed, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, because of Trump. And uh, the one you did at the year end was about uh, how undemocratic and I think you called it the revenge presidency. Yes, exactly. It, it seems like he's had an effect even before being elected. Uh, well, you can see the effect on what is happening to the hard-pressed people of Ukraine. Um, they're running low on ammunition. They're running, running low on anti-missile defenses. Congress has, in effect, embargoed deliveries of aid to Ukraine. And when I say Congress, I mean the Republican House. Uh, we have seen this magnificent show of commitment by the, the Republicans in the Senate under the leadership of Mitch McConnell, where he broke ranks, defied Trump, and pushed through with uh, 70, 70 votes to 29. An important aid bill. That this supports not only Ukraine, it supports Israel, it supports Ukraine, uh, Taiwan, it offers humanitarian relief, um, it offers aid assistance at the border. And the border problem is especially urgent. Republicans say it's their issue one. I have been writing about immigration issues since the late 1980s. I know you have studied them very, very closely. I've been a longtime immigration hawk. I, I um, have been calling for more enforcement and lower numbers for a long time. This is the toughest immigration bill, maybe ever. Right. And and it was negotiated by uh, on the Republican side by Langford, who is very conservative, uh, Chris Murphy and the other. But if you look at the contents of the bill, you're right. This is the toughest uh, immigration bill ever. 
Democrats basically gave up all of their top priorities. Um, the, the basic form yeah, of any no dreamers or no, yeah. Yeah, no, no dreamers, no major increase in, uh, I think there are 10,000 additional green cards a year in the bill for a fixed number of years. Um, Democrats have a list of things they have wanted. And in order to get to yes, they said, okay, we will work entirely on Republican priorities. And, and the Democrats gave up on almost all of their own top priorities. I mean, it's not like every fantasy that Republicans ever had, but many of those fantasies really don't work. And in fact, don't even command a majority of the Republican caucus. They, they had a bill that they wrote in the House called H.R. 2 that passed with a handful of votes. It only passed the House because the House knew the Senate would reject it. They would have lost many of the Republicans in the House if those Republicans had thought it might have a chance in the Senate. It certainly would not have passed the Senate. What, what did it include that, that would have been rejected? Um, so the H.R. 2 would have given future presidents very wide authority at their discretion to shut down the border entirely. This one does a little bit too, though, doesn't it? This this gives the president that power, doesn't it? it, it this bounds the president's power. It says under certain conditions, the president mm -hmm. has that power. HR2 gave the power almost unlimited. But understand, Mexico has now overtaken both China and Canada as America's largest trading partner. It's a fantasy to talk about the border being shut down. You'd shut down the United States economy. You'd shut down the American automobile industry. Um, mm -hmm. So the border has to flow. It just has, it has to be managed. HR2, as I said, it was, it's a, a fantasy bill. It's a show bill. It's not a bill that really had a majority of Republicans in the House, and it certainly could not have passed the Senate. So this guy, Trump, is having a major effect. I mean, the reason this immigration bill is dead in the House and has been dead in the House since Trump proclaimed that it should, should die uh, is that. Yeah. And the House had tied aid to Ukraine to that bill. And, and yeah. they've been flip-flopping all over the place. Can you kind of trace what the speaker has done? Well, you can trace this story back into in, the fall of 2023. The baseline here is it should be said something between 60% and two thirds of the American people support aid to Ukraine. Americans understand a country fighting for its survival against a more powerful aggressor, especially fighting so courageously and successfully against a powerful aggressor. And that's, that's really moved American hearts. Um, we have had consistent majorities from the beginning of this latest round of Russian aggression in February of 2022 uh, through the summer of 23, bipartisan support. But as Donald Trump began to emerge as the likely Republican nominee, as the DeSantis campaign fizzled, as Nikki Haley's campaign failed to achieve its desired trajectory, um, and as it became clear that Trump was going to be the nominee, likely, you could just see the numbers faltering, and especially in the House. There is a hardcore, and you know this better than I, in the House of, of affirmatively reactionary, affirmatively pro-Putin supporters in the House. People like Marjorie Taylor Greene would be for Putin no matter what. But most House Republicans just want to ingratiate themselves with Trump. Trump likes Putin. They like Trump. That's the math. And so beginning in, in votes in September of 23, we saw the numbers on the Republican side in the House begin to drop. Pretty soon, a majority of House Republicans were voting against Ukraine aid. Now, that was still half of the Republicans or a little less, plus almost all the Democrats. That's you know two-thirds of the House, almost three-quarters. But th those were ominous signs. Right. Well, there's that old majority of the majority. They didn't attach it to the funding bill in September. They said they would get to it later. October 7th is a horrific Hamas terrorist attack on Israel. October 20th, President Biden sends a big ass to Congress. Money for Ukraine, money for Israel, humanitarian aid, money for Indo-Pacific allies, money for the border, 14 billion for the border, all in one package. Vote for it now. 
And that was embargoed and embargoed. And Speaker Johnson kept saying, I have, I, I need something. Well, if I get it, I don't like it. If I, I, I need something else, no, I don't like that either. And it never came to a vote. Well, part of what he said he needed was an immigration bill. And he got it. And then he said, well, I don't like this bill. I want an imaginary bill. Right. And that imaginary bill is imaginary. That's the problem with imaginary things, um, whether, whether they're giant rabbits or fantasy immigration bills. They, uh, although the giant rabbit, I think, turned out the giant invisible rabbit. Harvey re- reference, uh, that was where the giant rabbit appeared in Harvey, I think. Am I right? You are right. Yes. Okay. Let's go back to your, your article at the end of the year on the revenge presidency. This doesn't bode well, does it? The, the gist of that article is to say, imaginations are not running equal to what a second Trump presidency would mean. I, I do a lot of speaking at corporate events, and I'll, I'll get questions like, what, so what would a second Trump turn mean for the mining industry? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, It'd be good it, for the mining industry. <laughs> no, it, no it, because they're thinking it's like going to be about policies. They don't understand. It's chaos from the first minute. If Donald Trump does return to the presidency, his overwhelming priority will be to shut down all of these prosecutions, criminal indictments, federal and state, civil cases, uh, more and more civil cases. He has to shut down the entire apparatus of the American legal system just to survive. But it's not so easy. It's, it's, there's not some um, wishing stick you can claim. Not so, There's no Harry Potter cheat code. You can't just say abracadabra, make it all go away. It turns into a a, a fundamental fight about the nature of American government. Congress will fight back. There'll be people in the streets. Nothing will get passed. His nominees won't get through the Senate. He will do nothing. I mean, the mining. what it means for the mining industry is a heart attack at the center of government. The same thing it means for every other industry. You will not have a presidency because the president will be consumed by destroying the legal system in order to survive the legal system. Couldn't he compartmentalize what he does with a, uh, a very smart and adaptive justice department i mean can't they say okay we're gonna go after all of trump's this this is a revenge presidency as you wrote uh we're gonna go after his enemies but uh we're gonna not go after the rest of the country you you jest um because well no i don't jest i'm just putting that out there as a if there are a lot of things that donald trump can't do he can't open a jar of pickles and he can't compartmentalize (laughs) <laughs> okay uh so no he can't do it because it will be you can't compartmentalize you can't say because when i mean what he's, he's going to have to do this he's going to try to fire the special counsels mm-hmm. he the president can't literally do that himself he has to order somebody else to do it people remember the saturday night massacre and watergate there are not going to be a lot of competent reputable people volunteering to be the attorney general who does the firing so you're going to be calling up all of these kooks and crazies and they're going to have trouble getting through the Senate, so you have to make them an acting attorney general. So we'll have the spectacle of the president ordering a non-Senate-confirmed attorney general who lacks reputable credentials to fire a special counsel so the president can escape the law. People talk about Watergate, but they forget what the actual specific grievance of Watergate was. Richard Nixon probably never ordered the burglary of the Watergate building. Certainly it was never right. proven that he did. What he was accused of doing, what he was shown to have done, was to have used his power as president to shut down a criminal inquiry. And for that, he had to leave office. That's Trump's announced campaign program. 
Right. On day one, my first job is to do what Nixon was forced out of office for doing, use the power of the presidency to shut down criminal inquiries. And I'm going to get all of these stooges who are going to be non-Senate confirmed probably to do the job for me. That's just, that's, uh, the country doesn't say, oh, okay. Uh, it just convulses, it convulses Congress, it convulses the co- country. There'll be no oxygen left for anything else. So what you're saying is, is that his presidency is immediate chaos. Immediate chaos. One of the, the uh, things Donald Trump has said he wants to do is order the military to suppress any protests that arise. Right. The Insurrection Act. I don't think it's stressed enough. The Insurrection Act was passed during the George Washington administration. It's not exactly an up-to-date law. And there are a lot of later laws about civil-military relations that suggest that the military has no role in domestic law enforcement. So if you're a, a general and you get an order from Trump, I, I want you to go shoot a bunch of rioters. Your first trip is to the general counsel's office at the Pentagon and say, is this a legal order or not? My guess is that too ends up convulsing the country. Um, as uh, generals think- I, Didn't, I didn't he just say that he's going to take the National Guard from red states and send them to blue states? So you're the commandant of the National Guard of California. You're going to go to the York general counsel and say, is this a legal order or not? They take an oath to the constitution. People do get punished for obeying illegal orders, as you have seen in the Senate. I mean, we prosecute people all the time for, mostly in in the context of corruption cases. You know, the captain tells Sergeant Bilko, we're going to take some tires from the motor pool. Mm-hmm. And Sergeant Bilko, <laughs> Sergeant Bilko says, good plan. Bilko, and then, well, <laughs> Bilko, go, Rob. That's Paul Ford. This is uh, for our older uh, yeah. listeners right now. But there have been lots of examples of people who have gotten into trouble for, among other things, following illegal orders. So you're the general or the commandant of the National Guard, and the, the president tells you this thing. This, it doesn't sound legal to me. And then, again, we have these debates, and they convulse the country, and we'll have a paralyzed military and a paralyzed National Guard as they get orders of dubious legality and have to decide whether to obey them or not. Do you think that Swazi's election on Tuesday has any... It portends anything, or is it just a one-off? Well, if you cannot, in the one of the two or three most Jewish constituencies in the United States, elect a female Ethiopian-born veteran of the Israeli Defense Forces in a district that had a Republican incumbent, you're in a lot of trouble. And uh, the Republicans found this very compelling candidate with this amazing life story. They couldn't elect her. That, I think, portends something. I think it portends, too, um, the kind of dysfunction that is over, overtaking the um, congressional Republican Party and suggests that uh, the woes here are, are kind of down ballot as well as at the, t- at the top. And Trump is just expensive. Swozy ran a campaign that was somewhat independent of national Democrats. Mm-hmm. He ran hawkishly on, on immigration. Right. The Republican, however, was not allowed to run an independent campaign. The the right fit for that district was for her to have been very tough on crime, very tough on immigration, very supportive of Israel, but pro-abortion rights, skeptical on guns, and to keep her distance from Trump. If she had been allowed to do that, she might have been able to run a very competitive race, but she was not allowed to do those things. She had to take abortion positions that were unacceptable in her Nassau County, Queens, New York district. Really? So how does that work? That the Republican National Committee tells her this, or how how does that work? Well, she you get flows of money from the National Republican uh, Congressional Committee, mm-hmm. and uh, you are doing direct mail. Um, and and one of the Republicans rely, rely on a lot on direct mail. And one of the things that's really important with the direct mail you have is that you Trump identify that 
the way to get money from the Republican donor list is lots of images of you with Trump. That's what makes the money flow. But that's what makes the votes freeze up. She couldn't have just run the pictures of herself. Well, you're saying her with Trump makes the make the votes uh, freeze up. I don't know what she could have done. Mm -hmm. But but it's what she didn't do. I mean, maybe I mean, Swozy is, you know, he's. I think he was the county executive. I mean, he knows this area pretty well. He is well known. And it's also credible when he says, I've, I'm bucking my party on immigration. Well, he has bucked his party on immigration for a long time. When he says, I'm with Israel, well, he went and he was in Israel in November of last year, getting the tour, wearing, you know, uh, in the helmet, and the bulletproof vest. It's not something he just did after the race began, that he has, he has got a profile that people find credible. You can say what you want, but people really want to know is, can you demonstrate that this is this is from your heart? This is who you are, really. And that and that's just impossible now for any uh, Republican running for Congress. He or she is going to be tied to what the National Republican Party or, or especially the, the especially the Congressional Committee, Republican Congressional Committee. You're tied to that. Lindsey Graham, Lindsey Graham, John McCain's former closest ally mm-hmm. in the Senate, who traveled to Ukraine again and again to say, I, and said to them, literally, I will be with you to the end. He broke on Ukraine aid because Donald Trump wouldn't allow it. Lindsey Graham. My God. My God. That is stunning. I didn't realize that. Yeah. No, Graham is, uh, was a no on the aid package. That's amazing. It's amazing. Most of them, the single largest chunk of the money Although the money is mostly spent inside the United States. Yeah, this is there. People should be able to realize that because what we're sending over there are missiles and weapons that we make in the United States. And we're just sending them those materials. Those it's like the lend lease program. And but but a chunk of the money is for is for Israel, too. And and Speaker Johnson, you know, he uh, he, on the hundredth day of the since the October 7th attack, there was a vigil on Capitol Hill. Republicans and Democrats together. Lovely. Candles. Lovely. And look, it's always touching on a moment of emotion when someone shows up with a candle. But if that person had the wherewithal to show up with a check for $10 billion (laughs) and brought a candle instead, (laughs) you would say, you're not a very good friend. Like you promised that you're bringing a candle and also $10 billion. And here you are with just the candle. Um, I don't know that you get to say that Israel is your dear friend. Will there be a bill that separates funding for Israel from Ukraine? Johnson tried that and it failed. Really? It failed partly because the Democrats said, on principle, these these things must be considered together. Mm -hmm. And it failed because there's a hard core of anti-Israel Republicans. And he's got a majority. Right now, he's got a majority of three. At best, he had a majority of five. So any five weirdos and lunatics, um, and there are such, unfortunately, can stop it. Because the aid to Israel package does involve more cash money. Israel needs... Ukraine needs material and supplies. Why can three kill it? I mean, uh, are they still going on? We need a majority of the majority. That's the rule. Because of of the speaker's scheduling power. Even if there are, Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader, is a very good vote counter, says he believes there are 300 votes in the House for the Israel-Ukraine package. Mm -hmm. Actually assigning a day to vote is the speaker's prerogative, and his own party would then have to affirmatively override through complex mechanisms, which you're familiar with, the discharge petition and others, and Republicans just don't vote for those things. Um, And just to make extra sure, 
Um, he's now adjourned the House till the end of the year. So there will be no sittings of the House until February, I think, 28th, they come back. And March 1st is when the government funding runs out again. So we're going to have a 24-hour crisis to refund the government for another 90 days. That's another thing, by the way, that uh, Johnson said he would never do. He did. He wanted regular order. He was not going to do these last-minute credit card extensions, but that's what he's doing. But he's using that now as a way to stop the Ukraine aid, which is what Donald Trump wants him to do, stop the Ukraine aid. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with David Frum. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage in a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back and the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Let's talk about the border. This is what you wrote in uh, two articles ago. Republicans don't care about the border. The Republican priority is no aid to Ukraine. The very act of negotiation is mistrusted. What did you mean by that? Well, the Republicans did this deal where they got almost everything they wanted and Democrats got almost nothing they wanted. And the Democrats said yes. Like a bad negotiator, the Republicans can't figure out when they're getting a good deal or not. They just think, if the other guy doesn't look crushed and humbled and upset, how do I know I got a good deal? If he says yes, it must be bad for me. So they don't believe in the principle of negotiations. They don't understand their own their own legislation. This is that Alan Drury uh, quote that you put in either this article or the most recent one. Uh, Alan Drury, who's we're now we, this really has been old time hour, hasn't it? He was a no, very popular novelist of the late fifties and early sixties, and he wrote a big novel about the U.S. Senate that was a massive bestseller a generation ago. He showed how these under the radar schemes and deals in the United States Senate put, can sometimes save the country from things that dangers that are even invisible to most people. But, that happened all the time when I was there. Yeah. Okay. No, no it didn't. And okay, he said, go ahead. What matters is not the votes because his point is, he's not disparaging the power of the vote, but you often don't even know what is being voted on. He said, what matters is the character of the people who exercise mm-hmm. power. That is true. But I want to say something about the Republicans on the border. Mm-hmm. So the reason we have a border problem is because the United States is the greatest job magnet on the planet, the greatest job market on the planet. And once you get into the United States, it's very easy to find any kind of work, whatever your status is. One of the ways of suppressing immigration is to be strict about enforcing status. One of the ways of encouraging immigration is to be lax about enforcing status. So when you have Republican state legislatures saying, we are going to make it easier to employ teenagers in all kinds of formerly prohibited activities, some states say we are even going to make it remove the uh, employer's obligation to confirm the age of the person. A lot of states have rules. Here's what you can do when you're 18. 
Guess what you can do between 16 and 18. And, and so many of the people coming in right now are kids. The um, shape of modern migration has been these are asylum seekers. They are teenagers from Central America and Africa and China. They are claiming to be persecuted. They want to come in and work. And they know right now it's easier to come in under 18 than over 18. So 15, 16-year-olds coming from countries where people of those ages do labor are coming to the United States where they're not supposed to. And, and there are a lot of states trying to pass these laws or passing these laws. Passing these laws. Arkansas passed a law that says employers no longer need to verify the ages of their teenagers. So someone who's really 15 can pretend to be 16 and do the 16-year-old job. Someone who's really 13 can pretend to be 14. And Arkansas passed. Well, what is the message to the world? Come to Arkansas. We're hiring. No questions asked. You can't then say, I care about the border. Like, but once you get past the border, and Come to Arkansas. then we don't. <laughs> like, the border is in many ways the hardest and worst place to do immigration enforcement. You do immigration enforcement in the workplace. And if you shut down workplace enforcement, then it doesn't matter how much barbed wire you put on the border. That was part of the immigration bill we did in 13. There was a mechanism to do that. E-verify mechanisms right. where you would have tamper-proof. I, I, you know, and enough of that, by the way, has worked. One of the reasons that we have the nature of the crisis we have today is when you were in the Senate, what the United States was worried about was classic illegal immigration. Single men, 18 to 25, crossing the border, eluding the authorities, entering the job market illegally. That's a little harder to do these days. That's quite a lot harder to do these days. And so what we have are people who are under 18 coming to the United States and claiming asylum, uh, claiming they've been persecuted at home and therefore they want a hearing. And that is not exactly illegal. They have status. They're not seeking to avoid the authorities. They're seeking to make contact with the authorities to register as asylum seekers and be issued a court date. What is our backlog on asylum seekers? Oh, it must be in the millions at this point. And how long a backlog is that? I mean, in other words, when will your case be adjudicated? I think it's like nine I, or 10 years or something. I have a close friend who came to this country after the Green Revolution in Iran in 2010, I believe, 2009. He was granted provisional asylum. He was given a series of, of he has not had his hearing. It's now 2024. He's still not had a hearing. He's legally present inside the United States. What year did he, he come? 2009 from Iran. Because what happens is the Trump people, in order to, their idea to deal with the backlog was to say, well, we'll deal with the newest cases first. Wasn't that the case in this bill? Right. We deal with the new. Well, that means that my friend who is, who's got one of the oldest cases, he's never going to get his hearing. He, I mean, 2009, 2024, he's still not had his hearing. Jesus. That's pretty amazing. I mean, the whole system is broken. There's no question about that. And one of the things that you need to fix it is some money because you have to hire. If you, if you want to speed up getting through the backlog, what would really help is if you had 2,000 more adjudicators. That was part of the bill. That was part of the bill. That, that was actually part of the president's emergency request on October 20th. He said he offered mm -hmm. then 2,000 adjudicators um, to speed up the, the hearing so that we work through the backlog and so that this whole asylum process, because remember that people who are coming to asylum are to seek asylum are probably going to lose. About 85% of cases are rejected. The gain, the thing you pay $10,000 to the smuggler for is just get me into the system. And then the sheer mass of people entering the system guarantees delays so long that I can work in the United States for half a decade or a decade before I get to my hearing. And then I can make the decision, if I look like I will lose my hearing, to drop out and become illegal. But the very delay becomes its own incentive to try the system. You said that... Um... 
Trump has sold, you wrote this, Trump has sold his supporters the dangerous fantasy that democratic politics can be replaced by one man's will. That's a pretty profound and I think accurate statement. And it's not just about being a dictator, although he jokes about that, quote unquote jokes. It's Republicans keep saying, we don't want this compromise. What we want is the president to give an order and make the border stop. And that's like a child's notion of how things work. <laughs> There's a, a fantastic story. And I, I believe this is a true story about Harry Truman as he, on his last day as president, sitting at the desk in the Oval Office and saying, poor Ike, General Eisenhower, he will sit at this desk and he will say, do this, do that, and nothing will happen because it's not like the army at all. Mm-hmm. That's pretty uh, telling. So basically, your your prediction of a Trump presidency, and we can get into whether that's going to happen or not, your prediction of a Trump presidency that everything will just grind to a halt. Well, he's going to try a lot of things that the American system is not built to allow. And it's going to be a battle of all against all. So it's going to be a convulsion. It's going to be a heart attack. All the proper business of the government will grind to a halt. But it's going to be jump ball, whether his projects to politicize the military, destroy the Department of Justice, whether those things work. What, what, it, what I'm confident of is any project to do this or that for the mining industry, <laughs> that's <laughs> grinding to a halt. The, the legitimate things, the kinds of things that people who vote for a Republican president expect a Republican president to change compared to a Democratic president, those things I think will mostly not happen. Well, usually it's it's uh, regulations being softened or re- removed. Uh, that's, I mean, that's what W did, and that's what Republicans tend to do is have their you know heads of uh, of departments of the Interior Department that relies on Senate confirmation. That's right. So so yeah, whoever runs the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, Republicans want that person to be more lenient than Democrats do. Right. But you, there has to be such a person. Well, I'll bet you, aren't there people who want to be part of a, you know, want that job and uh, are willing to swallow the bullshit and do that job? Or are you saying that people, any qualified person is just going to go like, oh boy, this is, uh, this is not, not for me. No, what I'm saying is on day one, when Trump says, I am ordering my stooge, non-Senate-confirmed acting attorney general who you know is on probation from some prison somewhere to fire Jack Smith, and the country goes into convulsions and there are people surrounding the Capitol, the Senate is not going to be taking up the confirmation of a Republican-style administrator of, your reg- <laughs> of the regulatory agency. That it's just going to be, there's going to be, it's going to be pandemonium. And so the kinds of things that the people gave all that money to Ron DeSantis wanted to see happen, which is I want so-and-so at FCC, I want so-and-so at the FTC, I want so-and-so at OSHA, I want so-and-so at, you know, uh, those people have to get through the Senate first before they can start issuing orders. So there aren't enough Republicans uh, who, you're saying every Democrat will vote against these things, uh, but but you only need the majority for nominations. I, I'm envisioning a scene where it's not going to be sort of like the dec- Senate decorously gathering. On the day that Trump orders whoever he orders to fire Jack Smith. And the day he says, I'm not subject to the law of the state of Georgia, I'm not subject to the law of the state of New York, I've pardoned myself for my federal crimes. 
I, I don't think the, the business of the country bumps along smoothly mm-hmm. after a president like that. Oh, and by the way, I'm, I'm taking command of the California National Guard. No, he wants the Alabama National Guard. He wants the right. I'm, taking the, I'm sending them into California. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I just don't think we, we are allowing for just how non-functional that is the American politics become when a president who is president because he got 46% of the vote, but thanks to Joe Manchin and Bobby Kennedy Jr. shaved Biden from 50 to 48 and then relied on the Electoral College because he's given the order to do all of these things. Mm-hmm. And then there's a question of, does he have a majority in both houses of Congress or more likely only one? I'll, I, don't you think they lose the House? I do. Yeah. And, and, take the, and possibly take the Senate, considering the map. Yeah, that seems a safe bet. So he doesn't have the House. So with the Senate, you get some confirmation. But how do you, okay, so you confirm somebody, the House doesn't approve any money bills. So it'll be broken like it is right now. Just only in reverse, right? The, when, when, the, when he pardons himself, if he pardons himself, doesn't the House impeach him for that? Uh, that's a good point, maybe. Is there a difference between pardoning himself and having his Justice Department drop the charges? The first, having the Justice Department try to drop the charges is obviously the preferred course. But you have to fire people to get the Justice Department to drop the charges, don't you? Or, I mean, you have to give an order to that, and and you have to find people to relay those orders. And the trials may already have started, or he may already have faced some actual convictions. Right. Plus, he has has all of these civil (laughs) matters. Plus, he has civil matters. Uh, Boy, this is a mess, huh? Yeah, and the self-pardon, I, I've been writing about this for a while, and I've, I've come up with a lot of hypotheticals. And I think you can, I think according to Trump, you can pardon yourself just by thinking it. Yes. So here's the question. If the president can pardon himself for any federal offense, among the things that implies, I've, I've, we've come up with wack, my favorite wacky scenarios, that implies the vice president can murder the president, become president, and pardon himself for the murder. Yeah, that's why he's got to be careful who he chooses. <laughs> I wouldn't turn my back on Elise Stefanik. <laughs> no, no. I think that's how to avoid her. Just get that out in the zeitgeist. Yeah. With the plumber's wrench in the conservatory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that would be a great mystery. Who killed the president? <laughs> we don't have it on tape. Uh, one. So one man's will can't, that fantasy that one man's, uh, will can replace uh, democratic politics. Yeah. And that's the whole engineering of the United States government is designed to make it as difficult as possible for one will to prevail. You say he will round up and deport millions of people. That that sounds like something he'd do. And can he he'll do that? Do. He'll try That's to. what he said he'll do. No, he can't do that. This is the fantasy song that he, that, as you say, it's the Alabama National Guard goes door to door through the state of California, rounding up people. There's just no getting around the fact that the United States government runs on on paperwork and the courts are in session. These are promises, not things that are actually going to happen. I think we just need to bear in mind that he's taking his own supporters for a little bit of a ride here. He's mm-hmm. offering them crazy promises. Well, he always has. Thing, but the one thing he can do is he can betray foreign allies because uh, whether or not he formally exits NATO, the defense of allies depends on affirmative acts by the president. Um, if an ally comes under pressure or is attacked, it's the president who must give the order to do something. And whether or not the treaty exists or not, you know, Estonia 
can't go to court and say, but we're in NATO, therefore we want an injunction ordering the president to send an armored corps to defend us. That doesn't, that doesn't work that way. That in, the, in that case, the, pre, the president does have the power to refuse to act. And that's all that America's adversaries are looking for is a president who refuses to act to defend Estonia or Taiwan or whoever it is. So that will encourage aggression by, by Russia or China. Aggression and subversion. It also encourages people to start thinking about new options because the United States is benefits from cooperation with a lot of people who are not exactly allies, but who respect American strength. I mean, Vietnam is in no way an American ally, uh, but Vietnam has over the past 15 years tended to bet on the United States as a support against China, but it requires because China is stronger than Vietnam. Vietnam needs to be assured that America's word is good. If uh, the United States will betray Ukraine, people in places like Vietnam say, well, we don't, we are counting on American strength. We're counting on informal American promises, but it looks like we can't anymore. So we'd better make our best deal with China. You know, so much of, of diplomacy is about credibility and credit and trust. Um, people assuming that because you've said something, it'll be true. And with Donald Trump showing that that's not true, People make arrangements around that fact. Now, can this be part of the, uh, the Biden campaign? What you're saying to the, in these corporate spe- speeches, in other words, your argument here is very important, and it's very important for Americans to hear, who maybe aren't MAGA but they're Republicans who might vote for for Trump, right? In other words, your argument, a winning argument, is: Are you sa- going to save us with this? Very compelling, logical argument. My argument isn't an argument for the country. I mean, look, I think of of the votes cast for President Biden, the largest single group will be votes cast on the issue of abortion. And the next largest group will be cast on bread and butter issues from $35 insulin to student debt forgiveness. The things I'm talking about are not going to be the largest group of votes, but they may be the most decisive votes. Because the reason Joe Biden is president is because just enough Republicans broke ranks to make him president. So he won all the people who vote Democratic all the time, but he won more of the people who vote Democratic hardly any of the time than Hillary Clinton did. And that was the Democratic par- secret power in 2018. The, the Democratic House of 2018 was won by electing people from the district where George H.W. Bush used to be the representative, uh, by winning the district that Eric Cantor used to represent, by winning the di- district Newt Gingrich used to represent. That was one in large part on people finally understanding what the ACA was after Republicans tried, you know, came within one vote of overturning it and in, in a bill that would have taken 30 million Americans off healthcare. But in, in River Oaks, Texas, George H.W. Bush's former district, Texas 7, which is a very, very affluent district of Houston, yeah, I'm sure the ACA helped, but a general sense of chaos. Democrats found someone who um, was a, a well-known local family. They were professionals. They had a business in the area. People knew, looked at them and said, these people are not wild people. They're not going to do anything crazy. And meanwhile, we are faced with utter chaos on the other side. The fear of chaos is an argument that is especially powerful with normal Republican voters who are the people in society with a little bit more to lose than their neighbors. Right. Uh, Well, I think this is a very compelling argument for everyone, which is that if you can make it strong enough for people to actually hear, and I think think it's a very strong argument, which is uh, things are going to start breaking down. Yeah. Because people want the government to work and 
you know, they're not necessarily as happy with how it works right now as they uh, could be, but uh, you paint a very compelling picture. Thanks. Thank you. What a pleasure to talk. Well, I I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.